morning from me as well to everybody here and to those of you who are online. What a privilege it is to, to share from God's Word today. And my deep desire is that it will bring encouragement to all of our hearts. So I've been called a few names um, in my life. Most of you here know me as Cindy. Some of you know me as Moira. Um, we are different. Um, when I was growing up, my mum my used to call me Princess. And um, as an adult, she changed that to Queen and regularly called me Queen, even in her dementia. Uh, my friends called me Tink, short for Tinkerbell. Rich called me Hottie. You can't use that name. Um, but my favorite, one of my favorite names is Mom. My, my kids will say, Mom, come and play a game. Uh, Mom, come for a cuddle. Mom, I need a DMC, a deep and meaningful conversation for those who don't know. And they've called me mom in times of pain. Uh, the time Cara dropped a Bovril um, container on the ground, picked up the glass, and kind of sucked the glass to get the Bovril off and cut the inside of her cheek, or stuck a raisin up her nose and said, Mom, I need to get this out. Um, the time the school called and said, Mom, come and fetch Shay. She dived head first off the jungle gym. Uh, to this day, she said Callum helped. Um, I've been called mom, and I love that privilege because it, it kind of speaks about a whole lot of different roles that I fulfill. Uh, playful, fun, loving, nurturing, correcting, but fiercely protective of my two girls. I love being called mom. And God's word is full of different names that God is called. And those names describe incredible characteristics of God. Uh, we heard in a worship song last week, he's creator, he's healer, he's faithful father, he's servant, he's the risen one. And last week, John reminded us that he's Lord over the flood. There are incredible names and characteristics of God that just go on and on and on. And I really believe that it's at times like this that focusing on the names of God and his characteristics can encourage us and help us and strengthen us. Over a number of months, I've been saying to God, God, I need your help to be stronger in tough times because I've realized that I'm just actually quite weak and afraid and easily shaken by difficult circumstances. Um, when my mom and dad had the threat of financial failure, when COVID started and there was so much anxiety around, uh, during the riots, I hated how easily I was shaken. And I'm so thankful to God that I was just a little bit stronger in the flooding. And I attribute that to the fact that in March, he led me to Psalm 46. Such a beautiful psalm. I encourage you to read all of it. Uh, we will only focus on a small part of it. Uh, so one night after the floods, I was lying in bed and listening to more rain. And it got harder. And I'm praying, God, please let the rain stop. God, please let the rain stop. Whereas someone in Chesterville without water was praying, please, God, don't let the rain stop. We're collecting it in buckets. But I was saying to the Lord, Lord, what, what, how, how can those of us who live in KZN, how can we sleep in peace when it rains hard in the future? And God took me back again to Psalm 46. And it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help 
in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So how can we be strong and unshakable in times of trouble? Well, this verse says, by knowing and trusting that God, the Hebrew name here is Elohim, is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The writers of this psalm, unlike some of the other psalms, they don't start kind of with their troubles and then eventually get to God. The writers of this psalm go straight to a confident, faithful declaration of a great, all-powerful God, Elohim. That name Elohim for the Israelites would have reminded them of the greatness of God in Genesis 1 verse 1, where Elohim merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. That name points to the might, the power, the supremacy of God. And because he is Elohim, the psalmist and you and I can turn to him for three things. Elohim is our refuge, he's our strength, and he is our ever-present help. When you think of that word refuge, you think of a strong, a strong place that provides shelter, that provides protection, that provides safety from enemies or from the weather. And because God is almighty, you and I can find solid shelter in him when the storms of life come. He's a safe refuge in hardships. He can't be moved. He can't be knocked over because he is Elohim. He is the almighty, impenetrable one. The psalmist says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. He is firm. But I wondered what this means for people whose homes, whose businesses, whose loved ones were devastated or destroyed through the floods. How was God their protection, their shelter? It's not an easy question to answer, but I do know that nowhere in Scripture does Jesus promise followers of him a trouble-free life. He does say, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in him you and I can also be overcomers in times of trouble. You know that when our confidence is in our circumstances and in our abilities, in our homes, in our possessions, in our physical health, we will experience um, a shaking and terror maybe when troubles come. But when our confidence is in him, we can experience supernatural peace. We can find emotional and spiritual shelter, safety in him security. And that security cannot be robbed of us when circumstances change. You know that it's in our relationship with him that we find refuge. 
Because he encourages us through his word. He strengthens us through his word. He keeps his promises where he promises, when you go through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be alone. And so we can find permanent refuge and security that's based on an unchanging God rather than on our changing circumstances. So Elohim is our refuge. He also is our strength. Once my my dad and a friend of his, um, they were very tall men, long legs, um, and I was about nine, and they went on a walk on his new farm to explore everything. Um, I just thought it was going to be a short walk, but um, they'd go from one spot to the next to the next, and I just kept like, you know, I I expressed my dislike of walking. They knew that. Um, So I started by just moaning a little bit, you know, and going you know, are we going back yet? This is really long. And I I whinged and whinged. Eventually I was like, this isn't working. So I started like huffing and puffing. I still get ripped off about that today on walks. But um, I really just was whinging. Eventually I was so tired. I couldn't complain. I couldn't huff. I couldn't puff. I just was using all of my energy to keep up. So at one point there was this tall grass and I was running to catch up and I jumped over the grass and I fell into an artifact hole to my waist and I'm done now. I'm just done. And I'm kind of picking myself up out of the hole and I'm so grateful in hindsight for that hole because at that point my my dad's friend had mercy on me. He stuck his hands out and he said, come, put your feet in my hands. And he gave me strength. We walked many kilometers after that, but he carried me and lent me his strength. We never went home. We landed up on a stranger's farm, but he carried me there. What I couldn't do, he did for me. It's a great picture of God because many of us feel that our strength emotionally and physically and spiritually, relationally, even practically has just run dry. We have been overwhelmed by things that have happened, trouble upon trouble. If you haven't personally experienced the trouble, you've been affected by it. Or you're trying to help friends and family and neighbors and strangers in the trouble. So we're tired. But God wants to remind us today not to fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Just like my dad's friend upheld me, God is there to say, put your feet in my hands. And these aren't the hands of my dad's friends. These are the hands of Elohim, almighty God, who created the whole world and the entire cosmos. He says, let me strengthen you. When you're weak, I will make you strong. So Elohim is our refuge. He is our strength. And he also is an ever-present help. That phrase, ever-present, is from a word that means his help is abundant. It's never-ending. God has unending storehouses of help for us. And he is powerful. I love one of the interpretations of this ever-present help. It says he's a proven help. If we were to look back on the past and over and over, we could see how many times God has helped us in difficult situations. It will strengthen us for now. 
His power and nearness is emphasized in the psalm because twice in two verses, 7 and 11, it says the Lord Almighty is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. He's our high place. The Lord Almighty, that is the Lord of hosts. God who just by his, his word commands all the armies of heaven. That God is available and powerful and willing and mighty enough to help us. You know, ever since the, the flooding began, I've felt so hopeless in terms of helping. But one of the things God has shown me I have in my hand is to pray and pray this verse over people. Be their ever-present help, God. So a friend of mine told me that um, they have two cars. They're stuck in their garage because their driveway was destroyed. The cars are fine. And so insurance was saying, well, your cars, we can't give you a hired car because your cars are insured for an accident and theft and damage, and they're not damaged. Um, so we prayed. Two days later, the insurance changed their mind, and they got a hired car. God wants to help us. That's just a small example. He's a powerful, almighty God, sovereign, who wants to help us in our times of trouble. And so the psalmist, I want to just conclude by saying they knew, they fixed their eyes on Elohim as their refuge, their strength, their ever-present help. And so they could continue to say, therefore, we will not fear. We won't be shaken. We will be strong. Though the earth give way, we've seen that happen. Though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we've seen that happen. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The psalmist could be confident and not fear and not be shaken because they fixed their eyes on this all-powerful creator God rather than on the earth giving way and the mountains falling into the heart of the sea. Those things are temporary. God is eternal. And so you and I, where we feel like we've had trouble upon trouble, covid Economic struggles, unemployment, riots, corruption, now the flooding. When we've had trouble upon trouble, let's take our eyes off the trouble and fix our eyes on Elohim, the almighty, all-powerful God who is our refuge, our strength, and our ever-present help. I want to encourage you today. Call on Elohim. When we call on him, the psalmist says, he answers quickly. Let me pray. Jesus, we call on you this morning. Elohim, almighty, powerful God, creator of the heavens and the earth. We call on you and we thank you that you have been our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help throughout the ages. And we thank you that right now, Lord, you long to fulfill those roles for us. And we ask you, Lord, to step in and to protect us, help us find our security in you that is permanent and not in things. And Lord, we ask you to be our strength when we just feel overwhelmed. Help us be strong 
so that we can be the hands of, and feet of Jesus during this time. And Lord, we, we ask you as well to give us your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just wanted to say as a mom, when my girls call on me, they say, mom, help. One of them did it while I was preparing for the service in a text. And she was in the room next door. And I quickly got up and went and helped her. And I'm an imperfect mom who's often busy and tired and irritable. But I will help and my kids know they can call on me. We serve a perfect father whose character is way more powerful than a weak mom. He wants to help. So let's call on him. We're going to worship him who is known by many names. Morning, everybody. From me as well. Uh, I must confess, I get up here <clears throat> a little nervous this morning. Um, <clears throat> and, and the reason being, normally this congregation or the congregation is very kind to me. Um, but every now and then, you know, one of these godly saints would, look, you know, with a, with a cross-like smile on their face, would walk up to me and um, quite directly say, Rich, you know that your wife's a better preacher than you, don't you? You know, and uh, <laughs> and it's always a it's always a fun moment. Um, to those people, I like to say, listen, difference difference not better, hey, difference not better. Just so that you know, difference not. I mean, she's different. She's pretty. I'm not. She's wise. <laughs> you know, I'm not. Um, you know, difference not better. Strawberries, broccoli. You know. None's better, one's just uh, different. Anyway, so yeah, it's a privilege to preach this morning. Did you know that about, at least according to most of the stats that I came across, only that about 85% of the world believe in some sort of higher power? 85% of the world. There's an instinct, and I would, I would suspect that initially, at least, it's in all of us, an instinct to turn to a higher power in troubled times. You know, in the, in the foxholes of the Second World War, it was said that there was never an atheist to be found. In those traumatic moments, people were constantly looking for hope. Um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, during, <coughs> excuse me, during the recovery process, the participants who are often in, in quite desperate situations are encouraged to connect with the higher power as part of the recovery process. And, and I've heard many of these folks say that was a critical step in their program. And I guess it is. I think it's a natural reaction that when we run into the end of our own resources, you know, when, when we come to the end of the stuff that we can do about this mountain that we're facing, that most of us will naturally look for some kind of higher power in which we can place our hope. I mean, a hopeless future is tragic. But I do find it fascinating that such a huge proportion of the world acknowledge something or someone that is greater than us. I suspect that this is an echo of the fact that the sense of eternity, the sense of, of something massive, something that, that overshadows our smallness is written into the core of our being. 
Um, only 7% of the world, I believe, are positively atheistic. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 puts it this way. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And then he says, he has also set eternity in the heart of man. That in the heart of man, there's something within us that looks for the greater. Uh, Romans 1 verse 19, I think, says it a bit more explicitly. It says, in reality, the truth of God is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. And I honestly believe initially that that is the case. Having said this, we must recognize that the true God is quite jealous of his glory, quite jealous of that that belongs to him alone. And, and this is a theme that echoes throughout Scripture. It's, it's almost unavoidable. It's a truth that we need to include in our theology, theology one way or another if we are reading Scripture. So, for instance, Psalm 4 verse 2 says, How long will you people turn my glory into shame? God is asking the question, How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Seek false gods. I think for many of us, that kind of language, we simply contextualize it as if it's an Old Testament issue. Back in those days, they sought other gods. Exodus 20 verse 5, one of the commandments says, A bunch of stuff you shall not make for yourself an image, etc., etc. Then verse 5 says, You shall not bow down to these things that you create or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, I have to say that I'm not too sure how I feel about being a follower of a jealous God. I mean, I've got questions. Isn't jealousy a bad thing? I mean, we've all heard those stories of a jealous boyfriend or a jealous girlfriend, or we grapple with jealousy in ourselves, and generally when we find it in ourselves, it's not something that we're very proud of. You know? So isn't jealousy a bad thing? Well, I suspect that at times it is, but at other times it isn't. I think jealousy defined in the worst possible way describes an impulse to possess and to control and to dominate something that we desire. In the end, this kind of jealousy increasingly harms the object of that desire. It's the kind of jealousy that fills the ID channel, you know, the crime channels of DSTV with all kinds of material where jealousy in the end took hold of this guy and he started to abuse in this, that or the other way. On the other hand, jealousy defined in the best possible way describes the natural impulse of wanting to protect something that is precious to us. If some dodgy bloke had to sidle up to my wife and started to gently stroke her hair, everything in me will rise up and want to protect that special and unique connection that I have with her. I know my wife can protect herself in that situation. She'd probably kick the bloke in the shin. So I wouldn't advise you to do that, even as a joke. If she doesn't, I will. But in a very real way, although Cindy was the recipient of that action, it is a moment that is actually shared between the two of us because of our exclusive marriage connection. 
My connection with her has been part of my life for the last 25 years. It's been improving and deepening over the last bunch of decades. It was enriched and strengthened on my wedding day and through so many interactions since my wedding day. It is so special to me that when something threatens it, I want to protect it. And some might see that as jealousy. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I am unashamedly, in some senses, jealous of our connection. I believe that that's the kind of jealousy our God points at to describe how precious his connection with us is between the creator and his created ones. And so when our affections, when our worship turns towards something or someone that starts, us, starts to infringe on the space that should only be shared between me and my Creator, there's something in God that draws a, respo- a, pr- a protective response for Him, a reminder that that space is only and uniquely reserved for us. In the past, as I said just now, as we read through the Old Testament, it was idols and foreign gods that people allow to infringe on that space. Today it may look very different. The gods that we create may look very different. It may look like our workplace. Or as beautiful as my family. You know, or a sense of security that becomes the most important thing. The range is endless. When we prioritize these things, and they need to be prioritized, priorities, but when we prioritize these things, we must be, always be careful not to deify them. Just a fancy word to say that we mustn't make a God out of these things that draws our worship and our response and so on. So during this challenging time, these last couple of years that have been actually quite hectic, I wonder how it will help you to ask the question, which God did, did we call out to? Which God did I call out to? Which God did my soul turn towards? And just to keep us honest, Here's another question that I think aids us in answering that first question by asking, where did you place most of your hope in these tough times? During these uncertain and scary moments. I mean, many of us will turn to faith as a comfort or hope when things are tough, but who or what is the object of your faith? Who is the target of that faith? Can I give you the name of the one that you can call out to? His name is Jesus. Now in terms of the gods of this world, the religions of this world, many would say that there are a bunch of attributes that kind of seem to run through all, the, all these gods. You know, some, some would go as far as saying, for instance, that the, the God of Islam and the God of, of Christianity are the same. Um, Because, you know, they proclaim also, everyone proclaims that their God is omniscient, knowing everything, omnipresent, everywhere to be found, omnipotent, all-powerful. But here are two of the, I would say, quite unique things that I love most about Jesus. 
and, and I think the list could ma- be massive, but, but these are the two things that immediately come from, to mind for me. I love, firstly, the fact that our God came to earth. I love the fact that he came to live here with us, to walk around in our shoes. Theologians call it the incarnation, which literally means our God put on flesh. I don't know if you've ever felt this, and I think it's probably common to all of us, that that one sense of, you know, this person, that person doesn't understand what I'm going through because they just simply haven't found, you know, been in the same situation. Um, I I particularly feel that when I'm counseling parents that have lost children. I, I feel almost on the outside of trying to counsel them, but put them in the room with somebody else that has also lost a young child, and there's this intuitive connection because both of them share that experience. Well, the mess and grime of a broken world has been experienced by our God. He's walked here with us. Homelessness, he knows about that. Loss of loved ones, he knows about that. Uncertain, threatening futures, Jesus knew about that. This is not a God that is so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. You know? He knows the pain, he knows the joy this world offers, he understands us. Whatever the situation is you're facing right now. That's the first one. And the second one, and I must admit I was saying to Cindy earlier this week, I seem to return to this part of the sermon just about every sermon I get up here. So if you ever feel like, you know, maybe, Richard, you're not preaching deep enough, it's probably because I just keep on coming back to the sermon. I think it's a sermon, part of the sermon that this world desperately needs to hear including our church. And the second one is that I love the grace that Jesus shows wherever he goes. You know, I want to know that my God understands my situation, but I also long to know that my God is gracious. The kindness of my God takes into consideration that that I'm just a human, you know, that I have limitations in every conceivable way. I don't always see things from an eternal perspective. I wish I could. I wish I had those lenses always, you know, 100% clear. But I don't. I am sinful. I am small-minded. I desperately need grace. And despite these things in my life and in my makeup, Jesus turns towards us with love and kindness over and over and over again. My God has a name. I call him Jesus. I call on God, but not just any God. I call on Jesus, who is, as the Bible says, the perfect representation of his Father's being. He's the one who stoops down to pick up the injured and the broken, He's the one who touches those that were considered unclean in those days. He's the one who listens intently to the heart of the accused and the vulnerable. He's the one who protects 
those that are exposed. He's the one who cries at the loss of a close friend. He's the one who loves even to the extent of dying for us. This is the one I turn to. This is the one I always intend to turn towards. His name is Jesus. And I simply want to enjoy the privilege of speaking the name of Jesus over you this morning. And may your soul be receptive to that name.